0: you.
1: everybody. Welcome to the December 11, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Duzudi. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on a recent Colorado tourism survey that, s- that showed Colorado's marijuana laws have influenced decisions to vacation here close to 50% of the time. Patty Cajun from Westward, I expect expected it was always going to be a little bit. You can't ignore the fact that we're only one of two states in the Union. But 50% of the time, what do you think of the results?
0: Well, I think it's about time that the Tourism Board actually ask some questions about this and acknowledge that it has had an effect certainly I have had plenty of old friends visiting and uh, visiting dispensaries (laughs) you know they think it's like so bizarre it's the entertainment value much more than the product they're getting they just think it's something to talk about so the fifty percent doesn't surprise me because if people are thinking of Colorado they're thinking of sunshine they're thinking of mountains they're thinking of snow they're thinking dispensaries not because they want to go but because it's all we've heard about Colorado in the national news except for when people are shooting people. That's
1: a very good point. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, uh, 50% saying that it uh, influences their decision. It, does that sound accurate to you? Does it sound a little bit too much, a little it, too it, little?
2: It, it seems too high. And, of course, there's also people for whom it's influenced the decision, and they've chosen not to go there. They would prefer to ski at, say, Alta rather than, than Breckenridge because they think that's a better atmosphere for their family for example. The, the, the shocking thing is if you got this 49 percent, but only 8 percent say they visited a dispensary. Now, maybe they were in a group of five people and only one person actually went to the dispensary, uh, but it, it seems uh, surprisingly low for that. And I, I think it also underestimates the dramatic effect of the, the new triangle rebranding the Colorado state government. I would say that's probably much more important for the average American about wanting to come to Colorado.
1: That's a very good point. We didn't survey anybody about carbon monoxide yeah. or anything with that, uh, that new logo. Eric Sonnen, political analyst. Um Do you think any other states are seeing this as, wait a second, we've always, how are we going to bring people
3: to Delaware or other cities that may need a little tourism boost? Do you think this may seem attractive? Well, that's a challenge. How are we bringing people to Delaware? (laughs) It it may take more than that. Uh, First of all, kudos to David. I feel off my game. I haven't gone after the silly triangle in months and months. So uh, (laughs) that was well done, and I'm sure that is the major draw to Colorado these days. The 50% number strikes me as high, but... uh, but, but who knows? And as David points out, it, it's a magnet. You know, there are two ends of the magnet. It draws. It also pushes some families away. I suspect it draws more than it pushes away. I think there's a novelty aspect to it that's, the, you know, I'm not sure it's going to be year after year. We've got to come to Colorado to, to go get high, go visit a dispensary. But I, I certainly know of people who... They, they come here. It might not be the draw, but once they're here, it's, uh, you know, when, when in Vegas? Uh, and uh, you've got to go check it out. I think it's interesting. And, again, it's a magnet, double-edged sword, whatever you want to call it, the extent to which this has become definitional about Colorado. As Patty points out, it is front and center in terms of Colorado's national image and reputation.
4: Penfield Tate, attorney with QTAC Rock, wrap it up for us. Um, I think the number's low. I, I think this is exactly one of those issues people won't tell pollsters the truth about. I think that it probably influenced far more people to come visit than it did deter. I think far more people visited dispensaries than admitted to it, although I like David's theory that there were a group of five people, only one of them had the courage or the money to go in and get and visit. But um, I think the number's um, low. But I agree, this is the novelty aspect of it. And one of the things as a community, policymakers, lawmakers, municipalities, the state need to figure out is, you know, there's a window of opportunity. For better or for worse, it's here, it's what the voters have approved. We have a tax and regulatory structure. Take advantage of it because it's going to, I think it'll plummet and fall off the cliff at some point. And then it won't be a significant impact or driver on anyone's decisions to visit because surrounding states will have legalized recreational marijuana also. GOP presidential candidate
1: Donald Trump sparked new outrage this week when he proposed to ban Muslims from entering the U.S. Colorado lawmakers from both sides joined the chorus saying that Trump's statements were out of line, with Senator Cory Gardner going so far as to call him a buffoon. Patty, uh, we've seen nonstop international and national coverage on Trump's comments. What I, I like, I'm interested in is seeing the effect it's going to have on the Republican Party and just the election. I mean, it's, he's a phenomenon. What he says it just gets crazier and crazier. But in a purple state like Colorado, this, there's enough wiggle room here that something like this can make a difference. What do you think of the reaction so far?
0: It's been fascinating. I mean, who would have thought that Trump would be doing as well as he is now a year ago, that he would even still be in the game? You think about Sunday night when President Barack Obama, remember him, no one is talking about him now, made his speech on terrorism, and then all of a sudden the real explosion came with Trump's comments only donald trump could bring together colorado's congressional delegation they all agree and not just colorado's congressional delegation but in fact the entire middle east he seems to have done the miraculous he has them all he has all those countries and factions agreeing even and isis agrees with him which is really uh, something it's incredible it is not going to die down and the republic for the republican candidates they really have to decide how to play this because clearly it is playing well with a large percentage of Republican voters as, the, as people are polling. His, rate is, his ratio is still going up. So um, the real thing to watch will be next week's debate on Tuesday night and where, who asks what questions and where the candidates line up.
1: David, on the legal side of things, I'm imagining that any of Trump's proposals break a variety of parts of integral elements of our Constitution. So I don't even want to go that far of what he could actually do, but I guess. Is the response also echoing a whether it's an ignorance or a uh, desire to ignore that part of the Constitution? If you see the residents and citizens of the United States saying, yeah, we should do that too, thinking, wait a second, there's this whole thing called the Bill of Rights that those would fly in the face of. Is it saying a lot about citizens, seeing the reaction here?
2: Well, the, the power to exclude foreigners from coming into the country is, is close to absolute, and the legal scholars who have written about this said, a it's, hey, it's a bad idea. Probably legal as applied to foreigners. When he says uh, American citizens who are Muslims who are overseas on vacation and then return home, we're gonna, not going to let them do that. Of course, that that's plainly unconstitutional. In his 1987 book, The Art of the Deal, he talks about the use of hyperbole to generate earned media. So there's no reason to think that he particularly takes this idea any more seriously than all the other stuff he keeps throwing out or that it'll be his idea two weeks from now. At one point he said we should stay out of Syria and just let the, let the Russians take care of it, and then at the next debate he's, we should bomb the expletive out of Syria. His positions are, are ever-shifting, and as Patty said, uh, draw earned media, and quite conveniently, from Mrs. Clinton's point of view, for whom I think the, uh, he may well be, part of the, the deep conspiracy, because uh, he pulls, when he does this, he draws attention away from the failure of the Obama-Clinton foreign policy as exemplified by the President's uh, pathetic speech on Sunday. We are living in days in some ways similar to the final days of the old Roman Republic. Both pre- parties have front runners who are quasi-fascist, and I don't mean like Hitler, I mean like, like Mussolini. That He's the, the founding father of, of modern fascism. They're running against the First Amendment. Hillary Clinton said her litmus test for who gets on the Supreme Court is to overturn the decision which said you can't criminalize putting out a movie about Hillary Clinton. Trump says when Rich Lowry of National Review calls Trump an ass on television that the FCC should punish uh, Lowry for saying so. They are both contemptuous of the constitution as fascism essentially is they both promise massive strongman rule hillary's promises of what she's going to do by executive action go even go far beyond the many lawless actions of the Obama administration. She's gonna double and triple down on that and meanwhile Trump yesterday said he's going to sign an executive order for an automatic death penalty for anybody who kills a police officer which of course is something you could do if you're Juan Domingo Peron in Argentina <laughs> in 1955 but you cannot do in a constitutional republic. So both front-runners are enemies of the republic and they are frontrunners because they've been allowed to be that, not just by the low-information voters, uh, but by well-informed voters who are shockingly uh, lining up behind these people.
1: Eric, I'm not sure if you had either Mussolini or Perone in your uh, pool. They have <laughs> historical references, but if you did, first of all, congratulations. But let's bring it back here to a local level. If your are um, thinking about running for U.S. Senate here in Colorado, if you're uh, Mike Kaufman and you're running in Congress, this is something that is going to affect the Republican Party and you're probably going to be in a very tight race where a couple percentage points could very well uh, um, uh, uh, change the results. Are you worried about this? Are you trying to inoculate yourself? What do you do to react?
3: Every Republican, whether it's local, Colorado-based, or around the country, is perplexed and incredibly worried about this and and somewhat paralyzed in terms of how to respond. You're in a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation all the focus last september was on the pledge trump took not to run as a third party candidate well let's not forget all these other people also took pledges to support the nominee of the party and as trump has become more irresponsible unserious outrageous buffoon-like whatever word and we could go on you want to use all of those people and down to the local level the mike kaufman's of the world are being conflicted of how long how do i keep my distance from this guy Ultimately, how do I, if he should go and become a prospective nominee? How do I handle it then, uh, et cetera? So they're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't. I have no idea if Trump is seriously considering a third-party run. I think that is well down the road. Right now he's running for the Republican nomination, and he seems to be prospering there, although albeit we haven't had a single voter actually speak up in Iowa, New Hampshire, or any place else yet, and that's still 45 or more days away. Uh, if he goes for a third-party nomination, he makes the impact that Ralph Nader had Back in 2000, look look minimal. Let's not forget that most people think Ralph Nader cost Al Gore the White House, but Trump would be a much more potent candidate, and it's hard to imagine any scenario other than that secures the election of of the Democrat, presumably Hillary Clinton. I mean, David and Patty have said it. I'll, I'll be brief, but the irresponsibility, or I'll use a different word, the demagoguery of what Donald Trump is doing is is shocking. Uh, It is reprehensible. I thought one of the stand-up moments of the week was Speaker Paul Ryan, and he had the best soundbite, four words, this is not conservatism. Whether you come at this from a conservative point of view or a liberal point of view, this is fundamentally un-American. I happen to think it might preclude Donald Trump from ever taking the oath of office, because part of taking the oath is pledging to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And this is as blatantly unconstitutional as anything we've seen. Lastly, people need to start calling Ted Cruz to account for the little wink and nod game he's playing of not endorsing what Trump is saying, but winking and nodding at Trump's supporters that I'm really one of you, and when he implodes, I'm your guy.
1: Penn, we talked a lot about how Republicans are trying to respond and, and the trouble they're in. Are Democrats sitting back and smiling and enjoying
4: the whole thing? Um, they may be, but I would, would would tell them that that's a dangerous game to play. Donald Trump has come to exemplify the, the, the old maxim that truth is stranger than fiction. You can't make this junk up, some of the stuff he's saying and doing. And, but, but I think the, the, the problem is more serious than just Donald Trump saying outrageous stuff, and I agree with David. I think he says it for effect. fact. Um, I think he's a charlatan. I'm not convinced he believes half of what he says, but so long as he gets positive reinforcement by 35 of, percent of, of, of Republican primary voters, and my, mark my words, there are more people who agree with him than that. They're just afraid to admit it in public because they see how ridiculous and how scary and offensive he sounds. But what I think he's come to to represent is, and it happens on both the left and the right, there is an absence of civility, moderation, and desire to work together. This is simply a ratcheting up of some of the... You know, brinksmanship and extremity well, you don 't like what I agree well i 'm going to shut down the government for ninety days we 've seen this escalate over a period of time and and it 's having some other effects. I mean, I think part of why Carson is fading is because he started saying extreme stuff, thinking, well, if Trump can do it, I can do it. well, it shows no, you can't you can 't get away with it. I wrote down Ted Cruz before Eric said it because Cruz is doing, in my mind, the exact same thing, except he is being more subtle about it. I think he probably is as extreme as Donald Trump speaks, but he's playing this game of trying to stay out of the public light and out of the press and not disavow Trump and not agree with him, but just sort of hang back and and lay in the weeds and say when the time comes. I'll be your guy, and I'll do all the stuff he says. I'm just not dumb enough to say it publicly and potentially not get the nomination. So we all ought to watch this, but I think this is a disturbing trend. You've got, and I think Democratic candidates are going to start to do this more and more, make extreme statements to appeal to sort of the basis instinct of people which drives us all further apart rather than bringing us together and at the end of the day by the time we get through a general election I don't know how the next president is going to govern in light of the environment that's being created now given already the disconnect between congress and the president. This is spooky. Mm -hmm. The accused shooter of the November attack at a Colorado Springs Planned
1: Parenthood appeared in court on Wednesday. In a series of sporadic outbursts, the accused shooter admitted his own guilt, declaring, I am guilty, there will be no trial, I am a warrior for the babies. Uh, David, um, there was a little bit of doubt of exactly if this was, um, if uh, abortion was a a major instigator in the idea of the defendant's mind. So that part is clear. Now we're back to the whole mental health discussion and probably uh, a, a dramatic trial if it goes that far. From what you've seen on your side of things, again, with your legal background, are we going to see another
2: circus-like trial? Hopefully not. The, um, when you're, say, a court-appointed lawyer who's representing an indigent person who has mental illness and the, the case is should this person be involuntarily committed for treatment, the what lawyers in that situation are, are told by the professional ethics boards and things like that is you may correctly think your client would be better off going to that mental hospital for a month and getting better but if the client wants you to keep him out then your job is to represent the clients wishes Well, now we have the same thing here the perpetrator almost certainly has some mental illnesses personality disorders among others but that doesn't mean he's incompetent to know what's going on and to know what he wants and if he wants to plead guilty and if he wants to plead guilty to a capital crime uh, that's his choice and you know it's contrary to sort of the mentality of the public defender's office which is you always want to minimize what happens uh... to your clients but as an attorney you have at some point an ethical obligation to follow your clients wishes and if your client wants to plead guilty you, you can't try to throw sand in the gears and stop him from doing it. You know, maybe there will be a mental health evaluation, but, you know, based on what little we've seen so far, uh, the criminal here has, has enough mental competence uh, to make that decision to plead guilty in a knowing and informed way.
1: Eric, it wasn't like this situation was uh, not already ratcheting up the conversation about pro-life and pro-choice in a very sensitive time. Um, But this seems to only turn up that heat a little bit. Do you think this is going to have ramifications next year?
3: The pro-life, pro-choice debate, yes, the heat got turned up. It was turned up over the summer with the videos. It was obviously ratcheted up with with the tragic shooting in Colorado Springs. But it's not like that debate ever really recedes. It's a divide that has uh, cleaved this country for 40-some years now. Uh, And it's it's a divide that you don't see any end in sight or any way to even sort of limit the debate and move it away from the margins and say, yeah, we're going to disagree, but we're going to disagree on a narrower set of issues and, and, and put the zealots on both sides a little bit in their place. You just don't see that happening. The news clips I saw of the preliminary hearing in Colorado Springs—I mean, if if I've seen the look of crazy, that was the look of—that that was the look of crazy. Now, obviously, you could say the same thing about James Holmes. The irony of them having the same uh, public defender, Dan King, who has one of the tougher jobs—tougher uh, jobs—in this state. I have no idea how this ends up. I'm sitting between two attorneys, and I should probably let them have have most of the air time here. To be curious to see whether District Attorney Dan May seeks the death penalty down there. Yes, Colorado Springs and the Fourth Judicial District is a very conservative part of the state, but again this guy is how old is robert Deere in his upper 50s uh... even if you secure a death penalty which i think is a a tough uh... judgment to get in this day and age even in colorado springs you know is he ever gonna uh... lie in a gurney with needles in him color me very doubtful
4: pen from what you saw so far uh... both from your own perspective and a legal perspective what do you think uh, you know legally uh, and david touched on many of these points what a lot of folks don't realize is two things you can go into any county court or district court any day of the week and there are a whole bunch of people who walk in the door accused of offense and they'll look at the judge and say yeah I did it I'm guilty you know I'm gonna pay a fine or if I have to do 30 days suspended I'm guilty I'm a criminal Uh, let me deal with it I you know his actions were heinous they're reprehensible and I saw some of the clips of him on TV I'm not convinced that he's not competent to stand trial the other thing that's interesting is under Colorado law after you go through a certain process he can fire his public defenders and plead guilty and tell the court I am guilty I don't want a trial I don't want to go through this I'm guilty let's get on to the sentencing phase now I do think if the DA pushes for the death penalty that changes the game but if the DA is willing to accept life in prison without any help of parole with somebody who's 57 58 this looks like a guy who's he's already said it in open court now. I don't know how they deal with that piece, but he may just say, I'm guilty. I did it. I think I did it because of my religious or whatever personal convictions. I'm prepared now to go to jail for the rest of my life. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out.
1: Patty, do you think we'll be spared a messy trial?
0: I hope so. I mean, first of all, at least we will be spared, I hope, from now on, the suggestion that pot did it, you know, which was really, the, until he went to court that day, there was a big story in the post, oh he came here for the pot. No one who is smoking pot is going to take on this kind of action. I mean it takes a lot more uh, get up and go. <laughs> it, this guy, he, yeah, he looks crazy, but he could be just a true zealot, a true believer. I mean he clearly made his motivation, his motivation is clear. He said he did it because he he did it for the babies. He's against abortion. Is that crazy, or is it just someone who truly believes? I think if he wants to plead guilty, let him plead guilty. Let him serve life in prison, which we all wish had come down. Not we all, but I certainly wish. Had just happened earlier on with James Holmes. Take a plea, lock him up forever, and avoid the trial. I cannot even imagine this trial would be just as horrible as the James Holmes trial, live, making everyone live through what they went through that day. So I think uh, letting him plead guilty is a greater good.
1: Well, we are in a chatty mood today, so we're going to go right to Disgrace of the Week, our favorite part of the show, and as always, Patty, start us off.
0: I am going to start off with uh, Denver City Council, which is considering this sweetheart deal for REI on a parking garage. We all remember what this, that part of town was like back when REI took over the old Forney, but now half a million bucks for a parking garage looks like a great deal. Uh, I want to thank Rafael Espinoza, who's taken some hits at this table, for actually scrutinizing that measure, postponing the vote. They'll talk about it again Monday night.
2: David, as Senator Kent Lambert uh, brought out in the Joint Budget Committee hearings this week, this $3 million a year of, of Hollywood welfare for the film industry, the governor's office spent $5 million spread over several years, just for Quentin Tarantino, a guy who's worth himself $100 million, supposedly because this is going to help brand the state. Quentin Tarantino's movie is called The Hateful Eight, and it is, as I haven't seen it, but if, if it's typical Quentin Tarantino, it'll be nihilistic violence porn. And on top of that, the movie, according to the... Wikipedia page for it is set in Wyoming. So we're not even going to brand the state with hateful violence porn. We could have spent $5 million on anything else better than on Quentin Tarantino. Eric.
3: Good for both of them. Uh, Per today's uh, news story, the head of the ACLU in Colorado Springs, a person named Lauren Warble, if I have the pronunciation straight, I always associate the ACLU with the ardent defenders of free speech. And yet he on his social media, even though he's now denying it in a fairly inept incompetent, and competent uh, and not truthful way, uh, no matter what you think of Donald Trump and no matter what all of us said about his demagoguery and unseriousness and go on and on, uh, he was basically suggesting that Trump supporters should be killed. It's a little rich. And it's rich for anyone in this country. It goes to what Penn said in terms of just how divided we are, but it's particularly rich coming from the head of the local ACLU. Ben?
4: It's the general political debate around this presidential election. We are descending to a level which I don't think we've ever seen before. We all need to sort of slap ourselves awake and shake this or we're going to be in a world of hurt. Say something nice about somebody? Patty?
0: I want to talk about a group that I didn't know about until we wrote about them this week. The Colorado Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, when you have all the shouting that's going on, this is 11 different religions affiliated to just talk to people and talk about the choices before them and to have rational, civic conversation. So, great organization.
1: Civic conversation? Uh, Very rare,
0: but possible.
2: Indeed. David. The guy who probably for the last 30 years in the state has had more public civic conversations than anyone else. Mike Rosen is retiring from three great decades at KOA. He was certainly a strong conservative, but his style was always uh, factual, logical. He did tons of research outside of the time he was on the air, and he improved the state in a really positive way, uh, among other ways, by showing a constructive way that let's talk about the important issues, let's have our point of view, and let's make our arguments with facts and logic.
3: Eric. I'll second David's. Mike Rosen has been an important voice in the state. I haven't always agreed with them, but he's been thoughtful. He's avoided a lot of the bombast of a lot of people in that uh, talk radio medium, uh, and he's earned um, a, a new chapter in his life, but good for him. Let me just add, add one there. I think you have to say something about Tony Lopez, Jr., the officer who was so critically wounded up on 37th and Federal a few days ago. Unfortunately, he looks like he's winning his battle uh, for his life, and uh, we wish him and his family the best. Penn.
4: Uh, Officer Lopez, certainly, but the people of the state of Colorado First Bank and the Community First Foundation, the sixth year of Colorado Gives Day, we have as as a community gave $28.4 million to 1,884 nonprofits. Over the last six years, $111 million donated to charity. When we come together, we can get a lot of things right. Absolutely yep, right. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in.
1: On behalf of everyone here at Channel 12, I want to echo what Ben just said and want to thank all of those who helped, all of you who helped make our Colorado Give Day here at Channel 12 a huge success. Also, join us on Wednesday, December 16th at 7 p.m. for the premiere of Fremente de la Vita, Jefferson Rubin, chronicling the short yet prolific career of the Colorado sculptor, produced right here by our own Joshua Hassel. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.